part of that and allowing uh, the Word of God to go out that way to teach this class. We won't see them again because we, out of an eight, eight, two-year program, we teach one uh, section and then other people teach the other ones. But you had a part in that. And I want to thank you for it. Well, <coughs> thinking about what I'd like to share this morning, I want to go to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We've been in this uh, section for quite a few weeks, only because of its uh, vital importance to us uh, in terms of how we live in a fallen world. How, do we, how are we going to make it when the world around us is collapsing and not uh, behaving the way we would like to see it behave? But 1 Corinthians chapter 3, in the verse that we're going to look at uh, this morning will be uh, 16 and 17. 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. He said, don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy that person for God's temple is sacred and you together are that temple. Uh, the Apostle Paul has been writing to a church in Corinth that he deeply cared for and he, he loved them. And he, gave, he wanted to give them instruction, give them correction. He rebuked them at different places just to help them grow up, to become all that God intended them to become. In fact, some of the things he was talking about, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, go back to the beginning. And when he begins to speak, he says these words to them. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, I'm at 1 Corinthians 1, 10. That all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household, have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One who says, I follow Paul, another, I follow Apollos, another, I follow Cephas, and still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God I didn't baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one could say that you were baptized in my name. Oh, yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ didn't send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom or eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied in his power. <laughs> so Paul's first words to them was, I've got to uh, remind you that uh, you guys are, are not behaving properly. You guys are finding divisions amongst yourselves, and that shouldn't be going on. You're lining yourselves up with one guy and the next, but this is not right. And he again addresses it in chapter 3. Go to chapter 3, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit of God, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you're not yet ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready for it. You're still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarrelings among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, another says, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos and what is Paul? Only servants. Through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has signed to everyone his task. So Paul begins to address something to them about the dynamics of what it really means to be a body of 
believers who are filled with the Holy Spirit. And we have looked at the three different tools or pictures he used to show that to them. We saw the fact that you are God's field, and in that, uh, God planted his word, the seed of the word of God. It was watered by Apollos, and God gave increase, and he expected fruit from them. In other words, Paul said, you're, you're in a place that God is investing his word into you that you can grow up, and that you can become mature, and you can produce fruit, a fruit that's going to result in the glory of God. So that was the first picture. The second picture he used down in verse 10, he said, you're God's building. And we've looked at that from one end to the other about the foundation. But in that, he said, you're in the, in the process uh, of growing now and take care how you build. Be sure that you're doing things in your life that are not just for the immediate right now, but they're for eternal values, kingdom issues, the matter of building with gold, silver, precious stone, not wood, hay, or stubble. And he said, that's your, your, the quality of your job or your work, your life, will be measured and you will be rewarded by that. You'll either, uh, it'll all be burned up or you will re receive great reward for that. And so he uses that, that illustration to talk about quality. So he said, as you grow up and mature, you've got to be careful how you're building with quality ingredients that you're going to have a quality life that you can present to the Lord at the last day. So we talked a lot about that. But then we come to verse 16. It just, um, it sort of has rattled my brain because it's, he says in verse 16, he always used your field, your building. He said, you're God's temple. You are where God's going to live, where God does live, inside of you, where God lives inside of you. That is a most amazing truth, that the God of all the universe, the God who created the world, the God who saw mankind go into sin with Adam and Eve, has seen a dark and fallen world. He comes through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and he says, when you become a part of me, when you receive the forgiveness of your sins, you receive uh, the redemption of your soul, you've been justified by faith, he said, we're going to come and live inside of you. That's a tough one to grab your, grab your head around. The fact that God would choose to live in the likes of me or you. That he would come and say, you are God's temple. Now, the interesting part of this, most scholars see this. Well, let me just back up a minute. He also gives warning to this. He said, when you mess with that temple of God, you, God's going to destroy you. This is a serious thing. Why? Because his temple is sacred, it is holy, it is pure, it is clean, it is set apart. It's a temple for the dwelling of God in us. And he looks at the, he's writing to all of them, he said, listen, you're God's temple. Now most scholars would agree, and I would too, as you study this passage, that this is all in the plural sense. He's not talking to each individual. He said, don't you don't you all know that you all yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit is in your midst? He's talking to the church that says when you get together, when you come together as part of God's temple, you're all part of that. When you come together, I dwell in the midst of my people. So when we gather together on a Sunday morning, God's in the house, not this building, in you, in us together, we're the church. 
the body of Christ, and he dwells there. And we got to be careful how we treat that church, how we behave towards it, because God says this is really serious. So this is a warning to them, but it's also a word to us that we understand that he's, he calls us after himself, that he's going to live inside of us. Now, let's go to 1 Corinthians 6. Because he said, if, if we're going to grab hold of the big picture, that when we're together, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. I am the church. He, let, me, let me just go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19. But before I get there, I, I just want to say, I have experienced this so often in my walk with the Lord. Many of you die, have done the same. You don't know people. You don't know anything about them. When we came into the town of Chilano in Mexico, we come into the town, we walk up the hill, we see the people we're going to meet, and suddenly there's family going on. Suddenly there's joy in between. You, we don't understand each other. They don't understand English. But the same tears that are rolling down their, eye, their, down their cheeks from a heart of worship is the same one going down ours. Why? Because God is in the house. Not that classroom we had, but in the, the temple of the Holy Spirit. I've experienced that in many places. Junior, I've, I've seen that in Japan. We've seen it in other places in the country. We've seen it in other places that we've gone. Why? Because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's a peace, there's a family. And I'm sure that many of you have experienced that in other places as well. Is that true? Can I have one amen out of that? You've heard that. Why? Because it's the truth. <coughs> Excuse me. So God is doing something, but I want to be part of the, of the issue that God's talking about this morning. Okay, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19 says this. Do you not know? Uh, Paul, Paul's writing to church.
check one, two. Am I back on? Ken, am I back on? Yes? Okay. Thank you. Oh, how, how, many, how, many, how many of you know that church is always fun with technology? All right. Here we go. When did they fall out? Two hours ago, maybe? All right. Here we go. <laughs> when I cough, I kicked it out. Huh? Okay. The amazing thing is that the creator of the universe, God, lives inside of me, and he desires to live in me. He's closer than anyone. He empowers, he feels, and guides me. My life is not my own. I was bought with a price. Now, I'm not doing God any favors just to allow him to save me, come into my life. The fact is I'm a sinner. I'm separated from God. I can't save myself. He is my Savior. It is his mercy, his action towards me that allows me to have a relationship with him. And now I can live for him as his temple, as his dwelling, as the Bible says. Go to the book of Romans chapter 6. <coughs> Romans. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. That I can live in such a way... That it would be for him. Romans chapter 6. Look down at verse 11. He said, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you can obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourselves to sin as the instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And offer every part of yourselves to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, but under God's grace. Look down at verse 17. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. Now I live for him. I live for the will of God. I want to do what he wants me to do. And it's in that place that the believer finds freedom. Not in recovering an independent spirit that I can continue to live on my own, but it's in submitting to his will that I freely come to that. So that truth must be yielded to, surrendered to, allowing him to be God in me. I've got to deal with my life. I need to live pure as his dwelling place. I've been spending a lot of time in the Old Testament in my writing and also my reading, and I'm seeing how the children of Israel allowed the, the home of God, the dwelling place of God, the place where he said, I'll put my name forever, to get into disrepair, to bring in idols to it, and begin to worship false gods. And the picture, of course, is that it's not lo no longer a Solomon's temple, a brick uh, stone building in Jerusalem. God said, this is going to be different. You are now my dwelling place. You are the dwelling place of God. I'm going to live inside of you. <coughs> and as I live inside of you, I am going to walk and live out my life in you. But you need to cooperate with that. So that's the amazing thing. The truth that I'm never alone that if I've given my life to him and I'm filled with his spirit, he's going to be with me. 
That means Wednesday morning. That means Thursday afternoon. That means Friday. It means this afternoon. Every time, every place I am, in the middle of the night when you can't sleep, guess where God is? He's in you. He promised never to leave us nor forsake us, so he's with us. So our job is to get that, our understanding changed and aligned to believe that and walk in it, that truth. To live as pure as his dwelling place. John Orthoberg, he, he helps us with an understanding about what it looks like to live independent of God. He gives three, three different issues that we need to face. The first one is getting rid of the sinful acts that we do. Let me just shoot off a couple of them, a few of them. I lie, I cheat, I gossip, I take what isn't mine, I use people for what I want, I blow up in anger, I swear, etc., etc., etc. The sinful acts that we do, that shouldn't come from a, the temple of God, it shouldn't come from the house of God where God dwells, but oftentimes that comes out of us. And we say the words, well, that's just who I am. I, that's, you know, I... I shouldn't do it, but that's who I am. Well, you're not anymore if you're a new creature in Christ. The second area he talked about was sinfulness. Not sinful acts, but sinfulness. Having the earmark of a pattern uh, belonging to the person. It, 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 it comes to the surface. It's, it's, external, it's an ex- entrenched pattern. That comes out of us, sinfulness. Paul said it this way, Romans 7, 25. I don't understand what I do for what I want to do. I don't do what I hate, I do. You see, I have to yield to God in order to break that sinfulness pattern, that bond between sin and habit. You know, habits are are wonderful things and they're terrible things. Habit is a relatively permanent pattern of behavior. It's a habit. It's something you do, and it's somewhat permanent. It's a habit. And when you look up the definition of habit, it says that habits are a hard thing to give up. Most often refers to a negative thing. It's a custom. It's a practice. It's a routine. It's, uh, it's pro- it's, it's, it comes out of us. And the capacity for beha- habitual behavior is crucial to life. We have to have uh, habitual behaviors in, in our life. For example, learning how to tie your shoes. Now, tying a shoe is an important thing. You remember when you're little or you have little ones, you try to teach them how to, you know, put the rabbit in the trap or whatever, the fox over the, t- I don't know what all those things. Try to learn how to tie a shoe. Most of us don't even think about tying your shoes until you get old enough that you can't get down there. And so you get Velcro from now on. I don't want to learn how to tie my shoes. Get slip-ons. That's the way to move. But it's a habit. We don't even think about that or even driving a car. You remember all those years? Uh, some of you can't remember that far when you had your Model T and you had to push it to get started. But the rest of us remember three on the tree and you had to learn the clutch and the gas and the brake and all that stuff. But now you just get in your car and drive. It's just a normal, easy habit that you know how to do it. You see, without habits... You couldn't make it through your day. You'd have to learn again how to button your shirt, how to walk, how to hold a fork or a spoon, how to pick up and use a tool. 
You see, we're a collection of habits. And God made it that way. Habits are a good thing that way. It's, it's made by God. We're made that way. Except for this. Sin has gotten into our habits and affected our reoccurring way that I think, perceive, feel, desire, choose, and speak, and act. So when I say something about God says I'm going to dwell in you and I'm going to make my home in you and it's going to be a pure thing and a holy thing, you're saying, wait a minute, how come I keep running this way? It's just my reactions. I, it's my habits. You know, you can override a habit by willpower for a short time, but it'll often, it'll often come back and go against your willpower. Your only hope is not to have a stronger will, but a new set of pattern of living, a new way to live. We can't, you know, we, you can't use your power, just your own willpower, to uh, get rid of a drinking habit, a drug habit, a porn habit, uh, bad eating habits, just to say, well, I'm going to just tough it up and do it. You don't have the power to do that. But when God dwells within your heart and he begins to affect your pattern and your choices, you can begin to create new habits that will drive out the old habits. You submit to the will of the one who lives in you, and that's God. Jesus' disciples studied scripture together. They prayed together. They gave. They, they, uh, they served. They confessed. And they replaced those sinful habits with kingdom habits. And that's a lifelong journey for us. But it begins by understanding that when I became a believer in Jesus Christ, he came to live within me, to live and empower me so that I might live a kingdom life. That I'm going to live for God's way and God's will and see his will accomplished. But there's also a deeper level of sin, yes, and that's called original sin. It's what we were all born into from Adam on. There is something wrong with all of us. We're depraved, without hope, without God. We need a Savior. And we can receive his forgiveness and his cleansing. Galatians 2.20 is a verse that... Go to the book of Galatians. Galatians is a scripture. 2.20 is a scripture that I, I really uh, find powerful. Galatians 2, let's go to 19. For through, for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for Christ. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I don't set aside the grace of God for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. He said, it isn't my doing, it's him. The life I live now, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I'm crucified with Christ. Look at over Galatians chapter 5, just over another page. Verse 25 says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit lives within me, and he does, he said he does, I need to walk in step with him. And by keeping in step with him, I'm going to have a different pattern, a different way. I'm going to deal with the things that are in, in, 
in sin. They're not in keeping with the purity that God's asking in my life. But you go back to verse 22 of this same chapter. <coughs> but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And since we live by the Spirit, let's keep walk with the Spirit. It's demonstrating the fruit of the Spirit. It's making that part of our life that we're going to demonstrate what it means to walk in the way of God as His, His dwelling place, that God can be seen in us. We're going to demonstrate that. You're going to begin to experience, and many of you do, a more meaningful prayer life, a more meaningful study of the Word of God. You're saying, Lord, I want to know your way. Your word is your word to me. I, I love your word speaking in me. So we experience that. There's great power in witnessing. He said, by being in you, you're going to be able to talk about me. I'm going to empower you. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. I'm going to fill you with my spirit, empower you to be my witness. And you're going to ex experience the power to resist the temptation. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. He's given us what it takes to resist the temptation to sin. Here's the amazing truth today, church. He lives in me. I must recognize it. I need to be filled with his Holy Spirit. And in faith, acknowledge my dependence on him. And hand him the reins of my life. And say, Lord, I want to live for you. Ephesians 5.18 says, keep on being filled with the Holy Spirit. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. You're the temple of God. He says so. You need to grab hold of that. And then out of us, as a, as a collection, we're God's temple. We are his church, his body. And we can give praise. He's rescued us so that we might declare the praises of him who's called us to be his own. And we can do that. And that should give rise to thanksgiving. That should give rise to, Lord, thank you for filling me up with yourself and that I can walk in you. And I rely upon that spiritual dimension of my life rather than relying upon my feelings, my flesh, my ideas, my thoughts. They said, no, Lord, you have a better way for me to live, and I'm going to live that way. And then I can give you thanks. Then I can live my life pleasing to you. And then the world's going to look on and say, I want what they have. You mean... He's not a God out there. He's close to you. He's a God that close. And many people will look at that and say, I want what that is because that's the gospel. Jesus died on the cross. He was buried. He rose again the third day. And he sent the Holy Spirit when he ascended to live inside. He said, my Father and I will make our home in you. That's an amazing truth that we need to grab hold of today. Worship team, if you would come. <coughs> Would you stand with me this morning again? Father, we thank you for your presence here this morning. We gather in your name. You're here. We thank you for that truth. Make it real to every one of us. Make it real in our hearts and our spirits that even as we walk away from this place this morning, we're going to be refilled and refreshed knowing that you haven't left us alone. You live inside of us, and we're your temple. 
May we treat your temple right. May we walk in purity. May we walk in holiness. May we do the things that would be honoring to your name. And so now, Lord, I just pray a blessing upon your church, your people, that together we're going to walk before you in your great love and care. So, Lord, we give you thanks this morning in the name of Jesus.